Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Something that is not shocking, but is amazing, Bill's Chiefs. Bill's Chiefs. Typically, predictable is not good. Unless we're talking predictably awesome. Then we're talking about the Bills and the Chiefs. And nobody is going to complain. Nothing ever lives up to the hype unless Buffalo and Kansas City are playing football. Then almost nothing else matters. Now, it did take a couple of quarters for that game to get going. Then we hit the two-minute drill at the end of the first half, and all hell broke loose. First, you had Buffalo. They had it on their own four. Under a minute and a half to go in the half. And then Josh Allen went Josh Allen and laser showed his way up the field to give Buffalo a 10-7 lead. 96 yards, minute 13 for that drive. And that, of course, left 16 seconds on the clock. It's a lot of time now. Believe me, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes, as you Bills fans know, has done a lot of damage with less time than that. So after the kickoff a term, Mahomes... And the Chiefs had 12 seconds to work with. Every single member of the Bills Mafia broke into flashbacks and cold sweats and panic attacks. The perfect chance for the Bills to show that that epic disaster that ended last season on that same field would never happen again. Except the exact same thing happened again. Once again, Mahomes to Kelsey to put Casey in field goal range. Well, kind of, sort of. We thought so. It put them 62 yards away, and then the butt kicker jogged on and then just casually drilled the longest field goal in Chiefs history and the longest field goal in the NFL this year. 10-7 to 7, Buffalo, one second remaining in the first That's half. Buffalo Snap to you. Buffalo. The kick is up. And the kick is up, and it is good, good, good at all time. Kansas City Chiefs record 62-yard field goal. This time it only took 12 seconds for the Chiefs to get in position. Ouch. The thing is, that one probably would have been good from 72. So for Bill's fan, that had to be like the ugliest, most painful wound ever to get ripped wide open again. You know, then with the ensuing full-on hemorrhage. Like, I thought they were going to bleed out right then and there. Forget revenge for the 13 seconds last year. The second half of this game became revenge for the first half of the game, right? But in the end, Mafia, in the end, Bills fan, you got yourself a different ending, didn't you? And now the throw is going to be intercepted by Buffalo. Picked off on a sidearm attempt to Sky Moore. Perrin Johnson with the pick. Patrick Mahomes came into this game with two interceptions for the season. He'll have two in this game, and the Chiefs only have two timeouts remaining. Wonk, wonk. Depressed much? That's true. Normally, you don't see that guy try to force that ball into that situation and that coverage. So, but he did. Massive win for the Mafia. And I've got to shout out. I got to take just one second and shout out my dude, Jordan Poyer. He was not cleared to fly to Kansas City because of a rib injury and a collapsed lung. All right? It was that bad. They would not let him on a plane. I mean, how can you play if you're not even healthy enough to fly? No biggie. So he misses one. Everybody understands this, right? Wrong. 
My man hops into a sprinter van. He drives 15 hours and he plays in the game. Probably listening right now as he's driving 15 hours back home. If you are my dude, mad, mad, mad respect. In fact, all the respect. That right there is what this team is all about. There is all in, and then there's this Buffalo Bills team on a freaking mission. The vibes are amazing in Buffalo right now. However, as great as those vibes are, nobody is vibing harder or better this morning than the city of Phila-freaking-Delphia. The city is not just having a moment. Its moment is having a moment. If they keep this up, there is not going to be enough Crisco or diesel batteries or horse pies in all of Pennsylvania to supply this party. Because this right now is about as good a party as there has ever been. Am I right, Philly? Is there anybody in market, on topic, not named JD, and JD you can call, that wants to tell me what it's like right now? The Phillies are in the NLCS. The Eagles are still the only undefeated team in football. And all of this is why Nick Sirianni was storming through the tunnels at the link last night screaming, How about them Eagles? How about them Eagles? How about them Eagles? I get it, brah. I get it. You can. You should. Rock, paper, scissors. My man, look at this guy. Seriously, how about them Eagles? They made that look easy last night. Well, until they got bored in the middle of the game, but then they made it look easy again when they finished. Unfortunately, on the flip side of that, and I've got a lot more thoughts on Philadelphia, man. I love, love, love the Eagles. This is why I've been riding so hard with them on the pod, on the show. I just, I love what they have going on. Unfortunately, on the flip side of that, nobody is feeling the rush any longer. I really did and really had liked what I saw from Cooper Rush. Really. But last night was a brutal night under the primetime lights for Coop. 18-38, three hideous picks, one canceled QB controversy. After that game, Dak said that he plans to play against Detroit next Sunday. Something tells me there will not be any debate about that this week. That's something being the ugly gag job that Tom Sawyer put on film last night. You done a nice job. Taking nothing away from it, but you're not going to make an argument that he gives them a better chance. Not after seeing that. Sorry about that, Tom. Cowboys getting back Dak, and they need him back because their head coach is still Big Fat Mike. As good as the defense is, and by the way, maybe not as good as everybody made them out to be, But as good as that defense is, Big Fat Mike is just still waiting in the wings to jack something up at the worst possible time. You know, like that critical moment of the game last night. Already down 14-0. Looks like it's going to be an absolute blowout. Bleeding out on national TV. Rush completes to CD on third down, who clearly reaches it over the line for a first down, but a bad spot sets them up for fourth and inches. So what does Big Fat Mike do? Challenge the play? Nope. Call a quarterback sneak and just have Coop fall forward two inches? Nope. What McChunky did was dial up a hideous, doomed play, play action, 
that never had a chance. A play-action rollout that never for a second had a chance. And then we just have McChunky doing McChunky things. So, no, there is no quarterback controversy there. However, there is a head coaching controversy. And there has been from the very second that he and Jarrah had their infamous first sleepover. Moving along, because it is a whip around. There is no quarterback controversy in Dallas. But you know what? There might actually be one in New England. Maybe. Because Bailey Zappi is balling the hell out. And the Pats smacked the seriously hideous-looking Browns yesterday in Cleveland. How about this rookie? This rookie QB, yes, Cleveland, the rookie QB goes off for 309 yards and two touchdowns, and most importantly, he didn't run over and try to present the game ball to the hood man like his fellow rook, Brendan Schooler. That, that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen from the hood. You know, if we grade on a scale, if it happens to any other coach, you know, it's somewhat amusing. But to see this kid go over there and try to give the ball to the hood and the hood just shake him off was maybe the hood's funniest moment ever. In case you missed it, dude recovered a muff punt, then tried to bring the ball to Belichick, and the hood could not have been any less amused. And and the special teamer, Schooler, wants to get to Belichick, and he's saying, son, this this is the NFL. Brendan Schooler, the rookie free agent from Texas. And Belichick didn't look like he was moved. Probably appreciates it, but nonetheless, there's still four and a half minutes to go. And we all know what can happen. I don't know. I I have a feeling that he was actually saying, son, get the bleep out of here. Get out of my face with that, whoever the hell you are. Son, do you know who the hell I am? Do you know where the hell you work? Do you know what the hell the shield represents? What what are you doing? Are you going to give me that ball and not give me my Capri Sun and orange slices? Yo, this is not the replacements, dude. This is the NFL. Go sit down and shut your mouth. I mean, yeah, his head and heart. Don't don't at me. Don't at me. His head and heart were in the right place. He made a play, but come on, man. You saw the reaction from the hood. It's priceless. Like this earnest, clueless rookie running up on the mumbler like a golden retriever with a tennis ball. Slobbering all over it. And the mumbler wasn't having any of it. I can't read lips. I wasn't there. I don't know what he said. But I bet it sounded something like this. He probably went into his full Cremudgeoned mumbler mode. Hey, hey, hey kid. And hey, you want to give me a ball? You want to give me a ball recovered on a muff punt? Hey, kid. Hey, do you know how many balls my teams have reco- recovered over the years? More than the number of zits on your pimple ridden face, son. My teams have been recovering fumbles since when your mom was changing your diapers. By the way, who the hell are you anyway? Back to the practice squad. Clear out your locker. Don't you ever show me up like that on national TV. The hell you think this is, man? I think Schooler needs to be schooled up on his head coach. You realize this is the same guy who didn't even go to his owner's wedding, which is a storyline for a couple of reasons this weekend. 
He wouldn't even go to Bob Kraft's wedding. You think that grouch wants anything to do with any kind of kind gesture? A wedding during the NFL season. Man, Bill probably was so insulted by the mere thought of that, of the mere thought of him missing out on a film session on Friday. I bet he didn't even RSVP to the invite. Imagine that, like disrespecting your boss that much. The guy's getting married. Yeah, like he was going to show up for that. When a front office lackey tried to hand Bill an invite, he probably gave that intern the schooler treatment also. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you will ever own. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. No joke. Try a pizza on the egg. It is incredible. Stop wasting money on grills that you replace every few years. We've all been there and done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg, a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It is simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source. There's no need to plug it in. With the playoffs and holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. You heard me. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com and have it sent to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. He's got lots of different things going on. He's also the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. He joins me right now. Ross, I know you've already had a busy day. What's going on? How are you? Jim, I'm doing fantastic, man. Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening uh, the whole show so far. I was loving it last week when the guy tweeted you and said, dude, can you just give me your picks? Can you just tweet me your picks? <laughs> Is that that the was best? amazing. It's not the best. The ball is on these guys, man. No, you know what we're going to do? Instead, no. Yeah, I'll do that for you. Instead of me and the big head, James Kelly, killing ourselves, doing our research, we will just do that. In fact, I will not only give you the picks, I will come to your house, give me your phone, we'll use my money, and then I'll put it in there. How's that? Does that sound fine? These guys. The thing that always cracks me up is like with, with my podcast, whether it's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast or even Money Podcast. I'll have, like, one live read, like, one commercial, maybe two, and people complain about it. It's like, this is literally free. It's 30 minutes. It's me and Steve Fezzik giving you all of our bets. And because I just told you about whatever, simply say whatever it is, you're going to complain. It's like, how do you think this works? Like, what, what, do you, what do you think we're doing here? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Exactly. What are we doing here? Well, you understand. I understand. And they should understand. Rush, you know Philadelphia. And you know the Eagles as well as anybody. They are the last. And believe me, I could do another 15 minutes on what you and I were just talking about. But we should give them some football or they'll be adding us again. They're the last remaining unbeaten team in the NFL. Are they the best team in the NFL right now? That's a great question. I, I definitely think they're the best team in the NFC. And right now, it's looking like there's a decent chance it could be a Bills-Eagles Super Bowl, which would be absolutely epic, which would be ironic, by the way, Jim, because 
the Bills are the team I have the greatest affinity for in terms of my playing career. I love those people. I love everything they stand for. But I'm also from outside Philadelphia, and I do the Eagles preseason. I do the Eagles pregame. That to be the Super Bowl so badly, but I also would be very torn if the Eagles had the best roster. But I'm not sure in a in a winner take all game. I'm still not taking Hurts over Josh Allen. I mean, Hurts is playing well. Josh Allen is unbelievable. Now the concern about Josh Allen, actually, you could say this about both guys, Jim. They run it a lot. You know, they take a lot of shots. And some of that is, okay, you don't want to get injured and how it affects if you miss some games. But some of it's just you wear down over the course of the year. Hurts didn't play that great towards the end of the year last year. And I wondered if you know he, had, he sprained that ankle and missed the game and Minshew came in. That's the one thing I – the one knock I have against the Bills right now is they're just so reliant on Josh and he takes so many hits, which is, like, great to watch – but even if he doesn't get hurt, it still can affect your play later in the year. I mean, we're only one-third of the way through the regular season. You know, Ross, it's such a good point. I thought the exact same thing. Like, I get that Jalen Hurts can squat 9,000 pounds. I get that he spends a lot of time in the weight room. And I get that he's very dangerous when he gets outside the pocket and he can use his legs. But I agree with you. Both those guys, it's part of their game. It's who they are. It's what makes them great. But I, I hold my breath almost every single time when they do that. Let me ask you about Philadelphia. I mean, a ton of ball left, Ross. But how would you compare this Eagles team to their Super Bowl team of 2017? Well, I tweeted this last night at Ross Tucker NFL, and I think some of the Eagles fans like got mad at me because they don't want me to say this yet. But I mean, Jim, they're better. Uh, you know, they, they they objectively have a better roster and are a more talented team. So look, anything can happen in the playoffs. We see that all the time. You never know who's going to win. Nobody knew Nick Foles was going to go bananas against the Vikings and the Patriots like he did in the NFC Championship game, and in the Super Bowl. But if you went through position group by position group, this Eagles team is better. I mean, especially if Hurts stays healthy, as opposed to Foles, you know, who came in for Wentz after he got hurt. This squad is better, uh, which is pretty remarkable. You know, they're only a couple years removed from winning four games and firing the head coach that won that Super Bowl for them in Doug Peterson, it's really impressive. I mean, Collinsworth, I thought, did a good job hitting it last night a little bit, but their wide receivers, best they've had in a long time. Their corners, I mean, we're talking like at certain positions that really matter, corner and receiver, Jim, it's the best they've had in like 20 years. I mean, it's, it's really nuts. And we already knew their O-line and D-line were good, so I, I think they're better. I'll tell you what, I, I think that is defensible. I agree with that. I love their corners. Absolutely love their corners. And obviously, he's got some really good talent and a really good tight end to throw the ball to. There's so much to like about them. Hey, Ross, one more thought about the Bills. And I thought they made a real statement in winning the way they did. I love them defensively. In terms of their running attack, do you feel like we're going to keep hearing those Christian McCaffrey to Buffalo rumors? Or do you think that the Bills can win a Lombardi with the backs they have right now? I think they can win one with the guys they have right now. But, man, as a former offensive lineman, 
those guys annoy me at times. I mean, it was like a third and two maybe, and Singletary should have easily been able to get the first down, and he's like dancing around. It's like, dude, the first down is right there. Just get up field, put your foot in the ground, get up field, and get the first down. That is a significant concern in my mind because you got to be able to close out games. you got to be able to get first downs late. That's one thing the Eagles have done extremely well. But for the Bills, you know that's not going to be a strength of theirs, the four-minute offense and being able to run clock late, at least not without having to run Josh Allen. And, and to the point I was making earlier, you know, Jim, in 2004, okay, I had a herniated disc in my back. Nobody knew it except the team and me and my wife or whatever. I had a $350,000 playing time bonus. I was playing regardless. But here's the thing. It made me a little bit stiffer. It made me a little bit less athletic. And by the way, I was probably below average at both those to start. I don't even know if they put me on the injury report or not. That's why all these Knicks matter. All the, you know, I love watching Josh Allen hurdle a guy. I love watching him run a dude over, but something's going to be hurting him. Something's going to be bothering him. We may not find out about it, but it's going to make him a little bit less effective in January when it really matters. That's why they got to find a way to get these running backs to carry more of the load. I mean, nobody carries more of the load than Josh Allen. It's probably why he'll be the MVP, but it also might be why they don't win the whole thing. Plus, you have to protect the guy from himself because he's not looking to offload that on anybody else. Hey, Ross, the point you made about your career is really fascinating. Like, it's not really fair to try and say, yeah, well, knowing what you know now, would you do it again? Because back then was very different than what you know now. But what you just laid out, there was a $350,000 bonus, hell of a lot of money. Hell of a lot of money today, hell of a lot of money then. But knowing what you know now, would you do it again? Did you do the right thing? Did you have no choice in your mind? It's a great question, and the answer for that is yes, I would. Um, I was starting. We were winning. Uh, we went on a great run there. And keep in mind, this is you know, 2001, 2002, the rookie min- the minimums I made were 209, 300. So if I played 80% of the snaps, Jim, I was going to get the $350,000 bonus. So I was going to play. I mean, but literally for those games, those last four games, I can't even remember, man. It was like two flexorols, two Laura tabs, a shot of Tordal in my butt. I mean, the last game against the Steelers, my wife tied my shoelaces before I left the house to go, to go play. Um, and I, I would do that again, but it's funny you know, now that I'm 43 and have kids, I do look at things differently, right? Like, when you're in your 20s, you think you're indestructible, dude. And you think, you know what you think? You think, okay, you know, this this hurts, this sucks, but I'll just let it heal in the off-season, or I'll get off-season surgery, and then whatever. Nobody tells you until, like, you've been in the league for a while or until you're done that these injuries don't go away. You know, like I talked to a lot of former guys, the, the injuries actually stay with you, but you don't look at it like that. Like even like, oh, I got a torn MCL. Yeah, that's, that's four to six weeks. Yeah, you know what else it is? It's scar tissue. And when you come back too early from it, 
you're probably going to have to get your knee replaced earlier. But I guess that's the beauty of the NFL's business model is that by the time all the you-know-what hits the fan, the guys, like, they've all been well out of the league. Maybe except for Brady, they've all been well out of the league. But I can't even tell you how many guys I talk to, Jim, that, like, in their 30s, they're like, you know what, I feel great. Actually, I feel great. And then, like, late 40s, they're like, yeah, not anymore. I have to have surgery on my hip. I have to have surgery on my shoulder. Like, it, it, it comes back to roost. But nobody knows that when you're actually playing. This is such, such good stuff, as always. You know what else, Ross? I think that we might, as fans or media, say, y'all know what you signed up for. And then as a player, you might say, I know what I signed up for. But you know, we don't talk about how it affects everybody around them. Like when you said, my wife had to tie my shoes, was she also so ingrained in the life, the life that 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 seemed normal to her? Or was she mortified by that? Like, what was it like for your wife? Yeah, she um, she was concerned. I can remember, um, you know, my career ended against the Ravens. I, I herniated a disc in my neck, I, and I bruised my spinal cord. So I herniated C5, C6 in my neck against the Ravens, bruised my spinal cord. And um, I said to the doctor, like, what do you think? And he's like, I think you're 28, and you went to Princeton. You should get a real job. My wife wasn't with me then. I can't remember why. She's back in Pennsylvania or something. When I called her and told her that, she just started bawling. She just started crying. And I was like, why are you crying? She's like, because your neck's going to hurt for the rest of your life, just like your back. And she was so upset. Cause, dude, Jim, I'm 28. She's 27. She's thinking, I got hopefully 60 years with this dude. And I already know his back hurts. We don't even have kids yet. Now we just messed up his neck and his spinal cord and bruised his spinal cord. So now my husband, who I liked originally because he was supposedly smart and went to Princeton, has now got a bad back and a bad neck. We don't even have kids yet. And I'm trying to go 60 years with this dude. She was like, she was way more upset about it than I was. I was like, all right, whatever. My career's over. It's sick. She was, like, she was very, very upset when I told her the news about my neck. Because she realized you were damaged goods, bro. Just kidding, but not really. No, I, 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 <laughs> I, I mean, I get that. That, that is really, really serious. You know really. what's funny about it, too, Chief? Tell me. There is, there is a, not all the time, right? But it's why, um, how do I say this? I'm glad I met my wife before I was an NFL player. Because there are some guys that meet their wives after an NFL player, and then when they're no longer an NFL player, it's not exactly what the wife felt like they were signing up for. That's not why my wife signed up for me. Right, yeah. Janet and I always talk about the same thing. Like, we, we were all together before. Not that we were ever anybody or are anybody today, but we were together before any of it happened. So that's how you know it's real. He's a former NFL offensive lineman. He pushes out amazing content. Also, you want to make sure you check out my front page story. We will hit that next time because we're up against it now. Ross, really appreciate you. Really appreciate the point of view. What can I say, man? Right when I think you can never top your last effort, you do. So appreciate you very much. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. I'm driving back to PA now. I'll be listening to you all three hours, man. Thank you. Oh, man, you're the best. Ross Tucker. So I've got a quick question for you. 
Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. I said it, 48 hours. It's incredible. And on top of that, Dove Men Dry Spray feels light, and it's clean on your skin, and it's quick, and it's easy to use, especially when you are on the go. And Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. You know you got to have that. You have to moisturize. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin as well. Truly, take advantage of that. You've got to moisturize. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. Dear Tennessee fans, we are once again asking you to contribute towards new non-river-based goalposts. Once again, we cannot accept Confederate money, hooch, raccoon skeletons, your cousin's virginity, one of your three remaining teeth, bathtub gin, Dukes of Hazards collectibles, old buttons, or your mother's old snuff pouch. We will accept Venmo. Signed, University Execs. Vincent, Illinois. One more thought before I go there. What I meant to say when I went to Javier's and had myself a night And then I woke up the next morning, and the first thing my wife said to me was, how do you feel, and do you know what you said? I knew right then and there I had to get to the Tower of Hate. The Tower of Hate is where I do my nightly research. We have a tower. Sometimes it's the Tower of Power. Sometimes it is the Tower of Hate. Sunday morning, after the birthday dinner, it was the Tower of Hate. I got on that bike. I knocked out 90. Crawled to the backyard. Went in the pool. The pool is cold now, so you get that ice plunge. Really smart, right? I drop in. Man, it feels good. feels really good. Pull my head up, look around. Another freaking dead mouse. I'm swimming around in the pool with a dead mouse because that's hygienic. I hadn't been that pissed and that freaked out since Dodger Jano used to have her end-of-the-year birthday party or end of the year school pool party at our house where she invited the entire grade every single year and some little kid took a dump in my pool also true I was freaked out by that too and that's not one of those is I got a big dump in my pool go ahead Albie pool 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 so yeah I know that's one of those come on dude lighten up that'll happen yeah to you Hopefully not to me. Anyway, so I'm, I'm trying to get my life back yesterday from the night before. And I'm in a pool, and it's a, a cold plunge. And I'm like, I'm doing the right thing, man. I just burned out 800-plus calories, rode 27 miles. Oh, great. A dead mouse again. So I start to swim as fast as I can to get out, to get out, to get to the shower. And as I'm getting up the steps, a dead frog A dead frog, too. I'm like, the hell is the frog dead for, man? They're built for water. I get a picture of it. Send it to our assistant. 
because she helps me with stuff like this. She's like, by the way, there were two dead mice. I'm like, great. Awesome. I've got the 42 to thank for that. Man, you know that's bad. If you see, if you have dead mice floating around your pool and you don't see them. And no, dear Rome, how did Chris Taylor get back from San Diego so quickly? And why was he in your pool? I don't want that. Why did Taylor drown in your pool? I don't want that. He's never been to the house. We've never had a conversation, I don't think. I'd have to check my archives. Anyway, back to the show. You have your phone number. Use it. Rick in Buffalo said he's going to call. And I would only say that about a caller who's that good. So I say war to Rick in Buffalo. Rick in Buffalo. Yo, Rocky Top. How the hell are we all living? Has that giant cloud of cigar smoke lifted yet? I hope not. I hope you can smell this wind for weeks. Because this wind is just that big. And I got to admit, I never thought that I would see the day that the Tennessee Vols would hang 52, more than a half a hundred on the dictator. And oh boy, was all red ass in super red ass mode on Saturday. But for damn good reason. Right from the jump, Hendon Hooker and the Vols were all over Bama. How about this dude? And you want to know something? If I'm not mistaken, I think that the big head James Kelly hit him with a future Heisman bet at 50 to 1. I think James Kelly is holding a 50 to 1 ticket on this cat. This is what I'm saying. You ask me, why do I put up with a guy who works five hours a month? Why do I put up with a guy who is functionally illiterate? Why do I put up with a guy that on our own podcast calls me Jill? Because that dude can do stuff like that. He's got this guy at 50 to 1 before the season on a Heisman Trophy ticket. So you know he was feeling it too. 385 yards and five touchdowns later against a red-ass defense. 56 more yards on the ground. This dude torched, torched the tide. And despite all that, Tennessee still needed a clutch kick to put it away. And they just did barely, barely get that kick. To win the game against Alabama, Paxton Brooks to hold. Waiting for the snap. There it is. The kick on the way. And that kick is knuckling toward the upright. And it's good. Just gets over the upright. Chase McGrath wins the game for Tennessee. And here they come. Everybody cheering in the celebration. The student section mobbing the field. They're mobbing Chase McGrath. They're mobbing Hendon Hooker. What jubilation in big orange country as the Tennessee Volunteers end a 15-game losing streak to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Vols Radio. That was simultaneously the ugliest field goal of all time and the most beautiful field goal of all time. Who lined up for that kick? Tim Wakefield? Man, I love knuckleballs. Knuckleballs are such a thing of beauty. You imagine throwing a baseball that doesn't spin at all. There's no spin. That's what that kick was. I'm not sure I've ever seen a more hideous kick that went in, that went through. In fact, I know I haven't. It was amazing. But appearances have never mattered less. All that mattered was somehow, some way, dude was able to navigate that ball through the uprights, and then all hell broke loose on Rocky Top. 
You know who loved that kick? And by the way, he's one of the best guys ever. Tom Candiotti. Man, I love Tom Candiotti. Yo, Candy, shout out, my brother. No, no, no Tom, it's not funny. Yeah, you're laughing over there like I'm mocking Tom Candiotti. Tom Candiotti is one of the best guys I've ever met. Love him. Love him. Love him. Great jungle guy. Just, you talk, ask anybody who knows anything about anything if they played with Tom Candiotti. One of the nicest people I've ever met. I love Candy. And Candy's a big sports fan. If he saw that, he would have a great appreciation for that kick. So then you had this incredible field storming, which led to an epic goalpost teardown, which led to an epic goalpost march right the hell out the stadium where the posts were eventually dumped right into the Tennessee River. I mean, I would imagine these Vol fans are like, let's go to the goalposts. Let's get it out of the ground. Let's get it out of the stadium. Let's just take it with us. Hey, like, where are we going to put it? Where are we going with it? There's that one fan going, put it in my backyard, yo. We're going to put that thing in my backyard. No, man, we're going to the river, of course. So, again, repeat. Vols fan stormed the field, ripped the goalposts, marched them out the stadium, hauled them through Knoxville, and tossed them into the Tennessee River. All while the entire city was firing up stogies despite the fact that UT is a tobacco-free campus. All right, so about the most epic celebration you're ever going to see. Ever. That's what college football is all about. And Knoxville has been waiting a long, long time to let it rip. And now Josh Heupel has them number three in the AP Top 25, and they've got a win over Bama for the first time in more than a decade and a half. Let me remind you all, Josh Heupel inherited a 3-7 and seven tire fire that had basically given up all hope for any kind of revel- relevance ever again. And only 20 games later, he's got them in the national title hunt? Insane. Brian Dayball thinks that's insane. The only thing that did not go perfectly for Tennessee this weekend was this completely imperfect tweet. Football V at Vol Football Tweets. Y'all remember how we tore the goalpost down, hauled them out of Nyland, Neyland, and dumped them in the Tennessee River. Yeah, that was awesome. Anywho, turns out that in order to play next week's game, we need goalposts on our field. Could y'all help us out? End of quote. How do you ruin the best thing ever with that? And there's a link to donate. Come on, don't do that. Don't try to ruin the best thing ever. You're seriously going to turn around and ask the fans to pick up the tab for the one time ever that the program ever came through in a big spot. Most of your students have never seen a legit big-time Tennessee win. And I don't mean since they've been on campus. I mean in their lives. All right? In their lifetimes. And that tweet, begging for money, is cringe enough on face value. Bad enough. Bad enough. But check out the university president, Randy Boyd, watching the celebration unfold on Saturday night. Listen to what this guy said then. Randy, how much is that going to cost? It doesn't matter. We do this every year. 
Did you hear the exchange? How much is that going to cost? The president himself said it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. One more time, Alvy. How much is that going to cost? It doesn't matter. <laughs> every year. He didn't even blink. He didn't even. It took him one second. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it costs, but please give us all your money. We don't have goalposts. And don't try to tell me that the tweet was just a joke either because they've already raised over 80 gur at last check. It's probably higher than that now. So don't say it's a joke. It just goes to show you how freaking fired up Volfan is. And of course they've raised that money. Zikafus is the one. I love the bounce back, too, for Zikafus. Like, this guy was immaterial for years. And now we're talking about him almost every day on the show. Of course they came up with 80 grand for the goalposts they themselves t- tore out of the ground. Zikafus had a gun in his face, and he didn't want to press charges. I think they should still be able to play football, though, regardless. Tennessee is my place, you know. It's my football team. Even after they put a gun in your face, you say, let them play football? Yeah, yeah. Why? It's Tennessee. <laughs> it's the way it is sometimes. So there you go. They should be fired up. That was as massive a regular season win as it gets. They also made Coach Red Ass look like Coach Fat Ass at the end of the game. Like they somehow, some way turned the most brilliant college coach ever, the Nick Tater, into Big Mike McCarthy. Because Bama had the ball at the Tennessee 32 with 34 seconds left with the game tied and somehow, some way managed to turn that situation into a loss in regulation. Not exactly the best time management, red ass. No little Debbies for you. Not only that, Saban let Hooker go all Patty Mahomes. On them and drive Tennessee 45 yards in 15 seconds to set up that game-winning knuckleball. You never, ever see Bama gag that badly. Just like you never, ever see Tennessee come through in a spot like that. Except both those things just happen. Hey, Nick. How do you explain that? Who was that on? Hey, I got an idea. Hey, you know what, Nick? Maybe you should buy some players. And then buy every player on their team. Made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. Maybe you should, Broham. Maybe you should. Buy some people who can keep up with Jalen Hyatt. Get some guys to keep that dude under five end zone trips. Damon Hooker pulls it, throws it, touchdown Tennessee. Jalen Hyatt, his fifth of the day. How do you have a quarterback throw for 450 yards and lose. That's not easy. And Jalen, he's got to have an NIL deal with Hyatt, right? That's the biggest no-brainer ever. Jalen Hyatt here. Need a home away from home. The Bama end zone. Hyatt. Stay at a Hyatt. We're a house call away, yo. Yo, Rocky Top, how y'all living? What a scene that was. 
Hey, are you craving some protein after a good workout? I always am. Listen, this time, don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? Yonder Alonso just finished calling the Astros Mariners ALDS in Spanish on MLB Network, so there is a lot going on. Yonder, good to have you back on. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on. It's good to have you on. So let me ask you, I mean, a wild, wild divisional round, all sorts of things that would never expect to happen did happen. Where do you come out on this? Like, is that just a matter of October baseball being so much different than anything else? It's not always about the best team, but the hottest team that advances, right? I agree. You know, I think uh, when you look at these teams, um, if anything, I think fans should be very excited. And and the reasons I say that is because for the first time, it just feels like it's not so much uh, the Goliath teams winning, right? You're talking about this new schedule postseason where uh, the number one and the number one seeds all had uh, and number two seeds all had six days off. And now we're seeing, well, you know, we're seeing with the Phillies, we're seeing with the Padres. Uh, we're seeing with the Guardians that it doesn't necessarily go your way when you do have some time off. And, you know, I, I think these games have been amazing. You know, obviously with the uh, the Astros in Seattle, uh, the way that ended up, I mean, we were calling that game in Spanish. I felt like I was, uh, you know, you, you mentioned we were doing it in Spanish. And I, and, and I at times I was like, I don't even know what, to, what else to say in Spanish. I mean, I'm losing my vocabulary as we go. So it was a really good three games. I know Houston ended up sweeping that game, these games, but – but Seattle played a really, really, really good series. Um, it could have gone either way. And now you're looking at the Yankees and the Guardians um, tonight. That's going to be fantastic. I- I'm really excited about this uh, this game. Um, you know, looking back to Cleveland's history, you know, they've lost 18 of 22 potential series clinching games dating back to 1999. So it's a, it's a game where it may not go your way, but even then, like when you look at this bullpens and the way they stack up, um, you look at what, you know, their, their closer has done for, for the Guardians. Um, you know, he's been fantastic in Emmanuel Class A. I think he's probably going to go two and a third or, or two and two thirds. I mean, so now you're looking at this game where everybody's thinking like, oh, yeah, the Yankees are going to win. They have home field advantage. Not so fast. I, I, when you look at this, this bullpen for, for the Guardians, it's going to be electric. They've been electric. I mean, you're talking about an under two and under 1.3 ERA in this bullpen. They've been lights out. So. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, you know, the Yankees have gone a little cold. Obviously, Harrison Bader has done a, a fantastic job. Um, oh, my goodness. Where do we go? I mean, you, wherever you want, Jim. We can go where, anywhere you want. My man, you nailed it. I mean, there's so many. I was just going to say to you, Yonder, like, I don't even know where to go. Well, I know where to go. I don't know where to start. There's so many amazing storylines right now. How about that game five? I agree with you. There's no lock or no given that because they got that thing back to the Bronx, they're going to win. But let me ask you this. Enforcing that game back there, what did you make of Josh Naylor's rock the baby celebration after taking Garrett Cole deep? Yonder, like, I mean, I don't want to be cutting right about this but is that the best thing or the worst thing or is this somewhere in between you know what i loved about that is cole after the game when they asked him they said yeah whatever i don't really care it's probably a little bit funny uh but you know i think in a situation like this the, the yankees are taking the higher road 
with the situation. Again, we've seen a, a different baseball where, you know, it, it, Jim, I, I've been watching baseball since I was three years old, right? And I think just 10 years ago or 15 years ago, if that would have happened, Roger Clemens would have, next pitch would have been 95 to somebody's head, right? That's not the case anymore. So I, I think it's okay. I think that's just the, the game of baseball we play now. Um, it's all being accepted where, you know, you had uh, other guys as a pitcher, you know, doing the, the, the whatever dance or whatever they want to do. And Wandy Peralta, you know, coming off the mound after a big strikeout and doing his thing. So I think it's okay. I think it's normal. There's guys that do it. There's guys that don't do it. I will say this, knowing uh, Naylor from the Padres days, he's a, he's a fun guy. He's a, uh, he plays with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, anytime you, you get that reaction is, uh, is, is a lot of fun for the game of baseball. I love it, man. I love it. Do not legislate emotion out of the game. Like, Andrew, I always said that far be it for me to speak to the unwritten rules of the game when I didn't play the game, but I know as a fan or as a media person watching it, I know the energy. I like it. I like it a lot. You mentioned the Padres. Now, I've lived in San Diego. I've worked in San Diego, but I'm not sure I've seen that kind of energy coming out of that town in a long, long time. What impressed you the most about their takedown of the Dodgers? Well, the fans were electric. I mean, listen, since uh, I want to say for, for over 15 years or longer than that, they haven't had a, a game like that in a postseason, right? So um, it's just amazing. The, the storylines with all that stuff, you know, you, you have Joe Musgrove, a guy who's, who's from San Diego. You have Manny Machado, the one-man crew. And then you have, you know, seven, eight, nine guys in the, in the lineup with Profar, Nola, Kim doing the things they're doing. You know, I think where at times we've given so much uh, heat to a guy like A.J. Preller, right, who was saying, oh, man, you know, he just can't get it done. He's too aggressive. He's pulled all the strings. And, and I think with him, you got to give a lot of credit to hiring of, of Bob Melvin, right? I mean, he's done a fantastic job. He's kept that club, like clubhouse completely in check. And one of the things that, you know, people don't even know about is this team was a little lost in September, early September. And. You know, there was a series in September on September 17 against the Diamondbacks where I was there for that, and things just changed. I mean, they started playing team baseball. I think I don't know if it was Bob Melvin after a game, kind of sitting the guys together and saying, "Hey, we got to start playing team baseball. It doesn't matter anymore about your stats." And you're seeing it, right? Guys don't really care if they've hit 30 homers or they've hit 190 like Grisham did. It, all that matters is today's game, and all that matters is winning baseball at the end of the night. So I think when you look at a Padres team like that, that's very hot. Nobody really cares who gets it done as long as it gets done. That's a very dangerous team. And it reminds me a lot of the Marlins uh, 2003 run where it, it just felt like they had some horses, no question about it. But the big key that nobody talked about was that pitching. They had a really good pitching staff. Uh, you talk about Burnett, you talk about Pavano, you talk about uh, Brad Penny, you talk about back in those days where – Dontrell, well, Dontrell Willis was, was there as well. And then you had Miguel Cabrera, who's like the Manny Machado. You have uh, DeSoto, who was like Pudge Rodriguez in that 2003 team. So it just reminds me a lot of the Marlins team. And, and watch out, man. These guys can just shock the world. Yonder and Josh Beckett, the horse that was Josh Beckett too, right? That's right. You that's know, right. So he, was, that, he was a horse and just like Musgrove. And that's Darvish. it. That's it, and I think it's such a great comparison you make. Like Those Marlins teams, you just expected them to win because they expected to win every single time they took the field. What about L.A., though? L.A. wins 111 games. This was not supposed to happen. All the credit to San Diego, but this was not supposed to happen, and it did. Where does that leave them now? Well, listen, I think there's 
they still had a great year, right? You're talking about a team that won 111 games uh, or, or something like that. Um, we're talking about a, a team that it, it just felt like the same movie all over again, right? It was that situation where, you know, you had Anderson who was completely dominating in that game, uh, and, and you take him out with just 80, 82 pitchers or something like that. And now I was saying, I remember talking to, to my best friend, and I said, oh, my goodness, the Dodgers are doing it again. They're giving this game away. I mean, Anderson was completely filthy. He was completely just taking care of that whole lineup. And all of a sudden, when they started bringing that tax bullpen, you can see the difference maker being that, right? They, they just didn't have enough arms. I, I think, you know, the starting pitching, they, they Walker Bueller was a huge loss for them. And, and I think when you look at that, you can't blame anybody but just the game of baseball and the grueling schedule of what it is. I mean, that's part of also having a, a good year, staying healthy. And unfortunately, they didn't stay healthy. Unfortunately, they all got banged up. And you, know, you can tell. I, I think they, they, you know, when they left, uh, when they left Kimbrough out of the out of the roster, that was a huge question mark for me. And now I'm thinking about it now. Like, wouldn't you want to have used Kimbrough in, in a situation, maybe in the seventh inning, to be the bridge gap to Almonte or be the bridge bridge gap to Gratterall? Or, or, or the other guys that had there, the weapons they had. I, I just felt like for me, you know, making decisions like that could be the defining moment of, of moving on. But they went cold. That, that's just the bottom line, Jim. They went cold. They didn't hit. They didn't score any runs. And when you talk about a, a postseason, you've got to be able to score runs. You've got to be able to have really good starting pitching. And I think I gave the edge to the Padres being able to do all those things. You make such good points, Your Honor, about that. But when you had that conversation with your friend, like, oh, man, they're doing it again. They're in such a hurry to get to that bullpen. Why do they keep doing this? You know, it seems to me, and I'm always defending Dave Roberts. I love Dave Roberts. I'm not saying he's perfect. I love the guy. I just absolutely love the guy. But you know he doesn't make that decision in a vacuum, right? Like, who do you blame for that decision? 100%. Is it organizational? 100%. Who do you point the finger at? When you know it's not going to work. Well, well, I think I think for me is it's just the, the organizational standpoint and, and also like, hey, you know, here's the thing, man. Like at 2 o'clock, you come up with a plan. And, and I think you have to be able to wiggle yourself in, in an adjustment period as a manager or as a staff to realize that those things may not go your way. And, and I think that's what winning baseball is all about. I think you've seen it all around. Like, you know, you've seen the Boston days with Alex Cora, right, where he's, he's, he's bringing Evaldi in the 10th inning, and he goes and, and he, he throws three shutouts against the Dodgers. And that was a deciding moment for the Red Sox at that point in the postseason. And, you know, I think that's what, you know, good managers do. I, I think Dave Roberts is an incredible manager, if not one of the best in our game right now. But I, I remember talking to Manny, Manny Machado, who's my brother-in-law. And after the game, I said, hey, and I knew the answer I was going to get. And I was like, hey, when did you guys know you guys had this locked? And I said, and he said to me, as soon as that open door opened, mm. we knew we had it. And for me, that just tells me, like, man, like, that was such a big, pivotal moment in the game, understanding that, oh, my goodness, like, they're actually doing this again. They're going to take out the guy that's been pretty much dealing. And all of a sudden, like, they're going to give hope to the Padres in a 3 nothing game with, you know, nine outs to go. I felt for me that was just too too erratic and too, I guess, strange. Yonder Alonso joining us. That is, that's a great anecdote you just shared. So before I let you go, let me ask you, Padres v. Phillies, neither were supposed to be here. Both of them are. I love both these teams. How do you like that matchup? How do you see it? Well, I think it's going to be the two hottest teams in all, in, in all the postseasons playing, right? I, I think when you look at both of these teams, the way they're scoring runs, the way they're pitching, 
their bullpen has been light, absolutely lights out. Uh, both bullpens have been lights out. Um, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I think when you talk about you know the way they're scoring runs as well, both teams are scoring the exact same amount of runs. Um, they got two really good managers going uh, going about their business, and you know they they got the the first and second pick overall of the 2010 MLB draft, right? We talk about Bryce Harper being that number one pick and Manny Machado being the number two pick. So what else can you ask for? I, I think this is going to be so much fun. It's going to be electric. Um, I, I like, obviously, my Padres. I, you know, I always root for them. It's hard not to root for them, but, you know, it's going to be electric. It's going to be, you know, the Padres doing their thing and the Phillies over there with their fans doing their thing. I really just can't wait for this. So, Yonder, one last thing. You mentioned it, but – and look at the Astros. They're back in the ALCS. That's six times in a row with a different squad. I'm going to argue that they look as good to me as they have, well, ever. I think they're that dangerous. But as you mentioned, you – and I mentioned it. You called that series, the ALDS, in Spanish on MLB Network. How much fun was that? That was amazing. I mean, listen, it was – it felt like I was, uh, I was in Cuba or I was in Dominican Republic calling a game – having a lot of fun. You talk about the Houston Astros. They have, they have over 18 players that are, are Latin-born players. Uh, that was a lot of fun, too. The Mariners have about six or seven guys as well. So, you know, it was electric. Um, talk about the Astros a little bit. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about them, and they just swept Seattle, and that was without Otuba getting a hit. You know, and you're talking about one of their best hitters not getting a hit. He's, he's been as, as frozen as, as it gets, but you know, I think Payne has done a fantastic job in that two-hole and also playing shortstop for a rookie. He's done a fantastic, incredible job for their, his first postseason. Jordan Alvarez, oh, my goodness. What can you say about him? Is 2.0 David Ortiz. And, you know, Bregman has been fantastic, too, protecting Jordan. And then when you talk about that, you know, starting rotation and their bullpen, absolutely lights out for 18 innings, no runs. What can you say about them? Dusty Baker has those boys ready to go. And, you know, for me, they're just as dangerous as it gets in, in any other team in the National League. All right, so I'm trying to let you go. One last thought, if you don't mind. Just one quick thing. You mentioned Altuve. You know, nobody knows how you get into a slump, and nobody knows how you get out of a slump. And if there's anybody who can handle it, it's Altuve. But if you're 0 for 16 yep. in the postseason, how, do you, how does he approach that? What should he do to try to get right? Well, I think for me, what I saw this series, we're very aggressive, which it's okay when you're going into a slump because the only way I always, I always said to the two guys, the only way you're going to get out of your slump is to outswing the slump, right? You got to swing to see where you're at. He's made some adjustments uh, throughout the series, especially those last three or four at bats. Um, he was pretty good, but you know, for me, I think it comes down to just getting a good pitch to hit. He's got to be early. He's got to understand where he's at. He's got to understand what he can handle, what he cannot handle. I, I felt like, you know, Seattle did a fantastic job trying to be aggressive in the strike zone at times and then using his aggressiveness out of the strike zone to, to try to get him out. But he's dangerous. And the reasons I say that is because not only can he slug you, but he can get a lot of in, like infield hits. So a guy with wheels, a guy that has a, a, a really good speed, he can necessarily still beat you with just an infield single. And next thing you know, he's stealing a bag and he's in scoring position. And that's just as good as hitting a double. So, He's scary, man, and he's the guy that, for me, if you have him locked down, if you have him kind of cold a little bit, it's a lot harder for Houston to score. But if he just happens to get a couple hits, you know, he's in trouble. And I remember him telling me at first base, like, if he was slugging, if he was struggling a little bit, he would say, Yonder, all I need is one swing. I don't need a hit. I just need one swing. If I can get a good swing off, 
Everything else is golden. I love that. That's great. Yonder Alonso joining us, MLB Network analyst. He was a 10-year MLB vet, an all-star, and again, you want to watch MLB Network. They're going to continue their airing, their, their live coverage before and after every postseason game, plus MLB Network, which is exclusively going to air the ALCS, which starts on Wednesday in Spanish. Yonder, really appreciate you. That's a great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely, Jim. Anytime. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover? Discover will help you remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that can sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Rick in Buffalo, my brother Rick, what's going on? No hangover today, Jim, because I'm still friggin' hammered out of my mind. I know you can't win the Super Bowl in October, but you sure as hell can clinch home field throughout the AFC playoffs. And there ain't no way in hell anyone's coming to Orchard Park in January and living to tell about it. I already got the hot tubs and hookers lined up for the tailgate on January 29th, the day the Buffalo Bills punched their ticket to Glendale for Super Bowl 57. And don't worry, buddy, I'll save you a seat in the hot tub. And of course, I was at Arrowhead for yesterday's showdown, and I'm happy to report the place is just as filthy and disgusting as you think it'd be. Every dude was as fat, sweaty, and hairy as Andy Reid is. And every woman was as fat, sweaty, and hairy as Andy Reid is. These people make Caleb and Green Bay look like Tiny Tim. Now I know Alan Diggs and Von Miller are getting lots of love today, and they should be. But the best player on the field yesterday was Matt Milano. My man was flying around the turf like someone shoved a rocket up his ass pregame. And seeing Dawson Knox grab the game winner was the perfect cherry on top. Number 88's been up against it off the field this year. But always know the mafia couldn't love you anymore, big guy. And before I get out, Jim... I want to wish you a happy belated birthday and wish Rit a happy belated go F yourself. The only thing worse than your segment, old man, was that loser Vic and no cows call afterwards. I'd call victim an ass clown, but that'd be doing a great disservice to Bozo, Krusty, and Ronnie McDonnie. And great job trolling Vic by gifting him the pay-per-view fight. For that train wreck of a phone call. And no lie, Jim, Vic's so broke, he was on Twitter 10 minutes later trying to sell the access code. To quote the great Al Michaels, you can't make this stuff up. Let me know if you need some cash, Vic, because even I'm starting to feel sorry for you, you bum. War Jordan Poyer getting his new contract and getting fitted for his yellow jacket upon his return to Buffalo. That was as badass as it gets. Thanks for the vine, Jim. I'll talk to you soon. Who loves you, baby? Rick. Arguably the best to never win a smack off.
He has come in second. What a great phone call. Man, I miss that guy. I love that guy. I love that guy, and I miss that guy. I'm not sure what life is put in front of him that he can't make the appearances that he used to make, but some of that's better than none of that. My man, I hope I see you in Glendale. We will be there. Radio Row for the Super Bowl. I We, we may have a sit-down, Rick. If I could get you on the row, you might get your writ segment. Although, knowing the bookers, we're probably all booked out already. James, my man. What's going on, James? Jill, my woman, and what up, Abigail? Seriously, Jim, we all know that the flight deck cannot pronounce the words I, you, and A, but somehow can easily pronounce butthole puckering and DK mudcaps. However, on the greatest pot ever, Big Head Bets, James Kelly called his own boss Jill, not Jake, not John. He called you Jill. I mean, that's not even the right sex. And chill out, Alvin. I'm not talking about actual sex. I'm talking about gender. So I asked Clone Nation, is this a fireable offense? But then I realized, how the hell do you fire someone who works for you five hours a month? And to switch gears, as a longtime supporter of Silk Bra over the years, I was slightly disturbed seeing one of the million pictures he posted on Twitter that showed a tattoo above his own junk that read Silk. <laughs> hey, Sesh Bra, that's like Rome getting a tattoo of Mr. Radio Man above his junk, or Alvin getting a tattoo of Baby Maker above his huge junk, or Garrett Ritt getting a tattoo of Ike above his little friend. Hell, Jim, that's like me getting a tattoo of Come on! Oh, man, rack him. James, my man. What a strong effort on a Monday. That was so good. So good. And as I always say, for the guys that are like that, and the standard is the standard, right? And when they're coming in more than once a year, they're putting their reputation on the line every single time. I mean, you're never going to be fully defined by one phone call unless it's a really bad phone call. However, that guy is putting himself out there frequently. And the standard is the standard. It's hard to meet that standard. And he just did again, which I love. It's good for the show. Nice job, James. Well done. See you in the smack off whenever it is I deem that day the smack off. And I will. Just not yet. That's usually a summer event, a late summer event, early fall sometimes, but it's never too soon to try to get your ticket, a golden ticket. He's already in. I mean, literally that guy can do, he could have 20 bad calls in a row and he'd still be in. He's got enough goodwill in the bank. He's got a body of work. Come on! And just know that he knows the hammer's coming every time he says that. Good night, now! 